Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today, my, my guest is Ben Joachim, uh, founder and CEO of Disperse.com. Ben, how you doing? Yeah, I'm really well. Thanks and yourself, Richard. Good. Thanks so much for connecting. I appreciate it. Um, I like. I always like to, uh, you know, meander for 10, 15 minutes before we start. I'm just kidding. I like to get right to the heart of the matter. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you tell folks? Uh, tell us about Disperse. What does it do, and what's you know what's the the company about? Yeah, so Disperse is a fund management platform that drives the transparency, efficiency, and effectiveness of development in humanitarian finance. Uh, my background is within within the international development sector. I've worked in development across the world for the last 10 years. Uh, and what, what I had seen across multiple roles were, were, in essence, reoccurring transactional inefficiencies. So one, when we're sending money internationally, we're subject to upfront banking fees, poor exchange rates, and currency fluctuation. Um, but once funds land in country, the nature of development or humanitarian programs or projects is that there are a number of agencies or entities involved um, so, for example, if it's a girls' education project, there might be um, it might be funded by the British government, who pass the funds to save the children in the UK, save the children in Malawi, um, and save the children uh, and local NGOs, training providers, schools on the ground. So, what we end up with is a long transactional chain, but with no transparency in that chain. Primarily because the banking infrastructure is built in an opaque way, um, which makes sense that when employers pay their employees. They can't see what the employees are spending their money on. Um, but in a development or humanitarian context, actually, that transparency is really important. And without it, what we know is that a significant proportion of funds are lost either to mismanagement, misuse, or, or fraud and corruption. Um, the UN estimate that up to 30% of official development assistance is lost, unfortunately, to, to fraud and corruption. And if we take those legacy banking inefficiencies plus um, inefficiencies around or due to a lack of transparency, it means that a significant proportion of funds isn't getting to where it's meant to get to. So that that girl in Malawi may not receive the education because of it, or that family that's um, that's um, in uh, that's fleeing from Syria may not get the support that they need. Um, and so, in essence, you know, these inefficiencies are, are reducing the impact um, that development or humanitarian finance can have. And Disperse was founded to to address those. Well, so, um, first of all, what is humanitarian finance as opposed to just finance? And 
when you talk about inefficiencies, you know, give me some specifics of what happens in certain cases where money is lost or stolen or, you know, there's fraud involved. Yeah, so by, by humanitarian finance, I mean, we mean we mean foreign aid or international aid. Um, and that ranges from anything from um, governments distributing foreign aid um, to philanthropists or corporates or, or individuals um, donating to support, in essence, supporting kind of charitable projects overseas um, that are reducing either um, reducing poverty or responding to humanitarian crisis. So it might be an earthquake in Nepal or, or the crisis in Syria, for example. Um, so there's a, there's a significant difference between what we define as humanitarian finance or humanitarian aid versus traditional finance, as it were. Um, and we talked about, uh, you asked about those, those inefficiencies. So um, I, I referred to um, kind of banking inefficiencies, as I mentioned, upfront banking fees, um, uh, poor exchange rates. Uh, and depending on how funds are sent, you know, funds may be sent from the UK to the US and then to Malawi. So we're going through multiple uh, multiple um, currency conversions, um, which which is simply inefficient. In terms of fraud and corruption on the ground, it can go from anything from you know, petty petty fraud, um, people overclaiming on expenses, to much higher level government or corporate fraud and corruption. Yeah, what are, so what are uh, okay of the possible frauds that are out there? Um, <clears throat> how is Disperse going to counteract this? What are some specific ways in which uh, you're going to do that? Yeah, so Disperse uh, leverages blockchain technology uh, at its core, um, and the, what we do is that we um, we receive fiat currency deposits from a donor, and then we issue digital um, digital funds to the same value. So, for example, if a donor deposits a million pounds. Uh, in fiat currency, we issue a million digital pounds, as it were. And then those funds can be transferred um, through the system. So from donor to Oxfam, um, to Oxfam in country, and then on to um, local, local partners in, in country. So we can trace the flow of funds all the way down that chain. Um, our, our ambition is that all projects spend will be distributed through Disperse so that we can see exactly where every single every single penny is and what we what we want to do is to be able to trace the flow of funds from end to end from donor to beneficiary ensuring as i say that every 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 cent or every every pound um is used as efficiently and as effectively as possible can you do this using existing fiat or do you have to use you know cryptocurrencies or various tokens that are on a a blockchain to do it yeah, so the way it would work with, or well, the way it currently works within the traditional system using fiat is that funds can be transferred from bank account to bank account, uh, but the transparency through that is very, very limited. Uh, what projects have to do is go through an audit process post hoc. So a project is delivered, um, and then auditors come in and assess, you know, how how the funds were spent and the flow of funds down that chain, as it were. Um, but currently, cannot be cannot be traced in real time uh, through the fiat system. Um, so what we do is that we leverage our own token, a fiat-backed a fiat backed, uh, fiat backed token. Um, it's not Bitcoin, it's not Ether, it's not any existing any existing token, it's our own, our own token system. Um, and and those, those digital tokens can be traced all the way through that, that system. Do you have a preferred token you're using? Uh, or, uh, you know, what blockchain you're going to be using? 
Yeah, so we've been uh, to date. We've been built on a on a private blockchain. Uh, we're in in the in the process of transitioning actually to well to a private fork version of Ethereum um, for for a number of reasons. Um, primarily, it, it's it suits uh, our purpose and our needs. Uh, we talk about transparency um, at a high level, and obviously that's really important. But there are there are nuances within transparency. Um, there's a big question around actually who gets to access that information, who gets to see um, that data. Um, and whilst obviously transparency is important, we recognise that there are there are occasions where actually transparency is uh, can, cre- can create some challenges, and therefore we have to be able to define who gets to access that information. An example: I used to do some work in Swaziland in sub-Saharan Africa with LGBT groups, um, and because of certain um, laws and cultural norms there, those organisations have to, in essence, stay under the radar. Um, so whilst transparency is great, we, we have to recognise that there are nuances. So that, that has implications in terms of how we architect Disperse from a technical perspective, and therefore using a private fork version of Ethereum is, is the best approach for that. Yeah, just like you said, it would be dangerous uh, for certain people to see that money is going from A to B. And they could uh, attack, attack or extort or kidnap or blackmail and you know cause all kinds of problems along the chain. Exactly. So what we do is define define at the start of a project who who has access to that information and who gets to see who gets to see what uh, what detail or level of transactions. Um, so it's not it's not just necessarily kind of publishing it through a, or, or putting that information out there on on a public blockchain for everyone to to see. Um, so it may it may be defined to um, the donors and all the partners or delivery agents involved in that. It might be um, a public donations campaign, and therefore every every individual that donated could see where um, where those aggregated funds were, were being distributed. And those are some of the nuances that we're working through at the moment. Um, so we we've done a pilot in Swaziland. I mentioned Swaziland. Um, the pilot was uh, distributing funds from the UK. To an NGO in Swaziland, and then onto uh, onto four schools in Swaziland. And those funds were primarily being used to provide school fees for young girls that were left as orphans due to the HIV/AIDS epidemic. Um, and so, in that case, what we what we did is defined the stakeholders or uh, define those those entities that had access as those involved with the project, so the, the donors, um, the NGOs, and and those four schools. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you have a group of, if there's a group of people involved, the sender, the recipient, um, you know, disperse, etc., but they all can see into a blockchain. Um, so everything's kind of transparent within a group, but yet still shielded from outside third parties that could be harmful. That's a much higher level of transparency than what's, what's currently going on. Exactly. And, you know, having having complete transparency where it's open to the whole world doesn't actually add add value necessarily. Um, and as you, as you mentioned, you know, it could have some negative implications. So it's important that we define, define who has that access or who is able to see what information. Interesting. Okay. Do you think this will become the standard for charities and for, um, for funding at some point, if, you know, a large enough amount of institutions do it and, you know, I, I would think that people that want to contribute to causes or send aid would say, well, I don't want to send it into a black box. I only want to send it through organizations that, 
you know, have this transparency so I know my money's going where it's supposed to. Yeah, exactly. So there are a couple of elements to this. Um, there's what what do individual donors want to see? You know, the likes of me and you that may, you know, that may donate £10 or $10 um, to, to a cause. Um, the, the current statistics are showing that there's a decline in, in public donations at the moment to to charities generally, but especially within kind of the international development or humanitarian sector, primarily because there's there's a lack of trust in charities. If you donate ten dollars to an earthquake in Nepal, how do you know that your money has actually gone to where it was meant to go to? That it's um, being spent in the way that, um, that that it's meant to be, and that it has the impact that it's meant to have. Um, and at the moment, at the moment, we simply don't know that. So um, hence, there's there's you know a decline in, in public giving and at the same time there's also with with the kind of the rise and I say this lightly the rise of the right um, the likes of Brexit um, the likes of Trump there's there's kind of a uh, an increasing skepticism about the the value of foreign aid in the essence in essence the argument is we should be spending more money at home versus internationally or, or abroad um, so if we're able to demonstrate the value um, we think that is that is that's all, that has obvious benefits. Um, your question is, you know, does, does this become the norm? Um, one, there's a greater demand for transparency out there, um, and charities will have to adapt to that. Whether it's dispersed and whether it's a blockchain system is, 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 yet, to be, is yet to be seen. Um, obviously, we're, we're ambitious and confident that, that, that it will be. Um, but we, we, we see across the world that, that, that greater need for um, accountability within within the distribution of funds. So we, we certainly see, see uh, the charitable sector moving moving this way. The wider question of whether blockchain becomes mainstream, um, I think you know over the last over the last year since Disperse started there's been a considerable shift in the blockchain ecosystem. Um, when we started out having conversations with charities and NGOs and donors uh, and talking about blockchain, the majority had never heard of it. Now, the majority have heard of it. Mm. And if we look kind of beyond the international development sector, um, you know, the majority of financial institutions are looking at how to leverage blockchain technology within their existing infrastructure. So I think it will become more mainstream. The question is, what does the kind of the time frame look, look, um, look around that? Whether it's, you know, the, the majority of the majority of charities are using this within two to five years, or is it more like 10 to 15 years is, is yet to be seen. But the rate of, um, you know, the, the rate of the spread of blockchain and, and its adoption is, I mean, is, is increasing at a significant rate. Who's going to be the, um, the ultimate um, auditor of these blockchains? I mean, I know Disperse is on, for the most part, Disperse is, but, you know, if I don't... Why wouldn't an organization skeptically say, well, sure, this sounds great, but you guys are running the blockchain. What if you guys decide to monkey with it? I mean, is there a, a final authority that will look to audit and make sure that even though stuff's on a blockchain, it's not being messed with or, or changed? Yeah, so I, 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 I get your point. Um, at, at, at the moment, that hasn't actually been fully decided. And, and one of the things that we need to... Um, to do is continue to test and, and, and pilot the infrastructure and the platform um, to see how it continues to expand and, and grows. And then I guess we'll be in a better position to answer that question. Um, what we want to do is for 
um, for that network um, to become fully decentralized um, and that it becomes um, owned and therefore audited by by a global network. Um, there may be wider um, involvement from regulators, for example. Um, that's yet to be seen. Um, but as, as Disperse continues to develop, um, we'll be much clearer on on exactly how that will work. At the moment, it's being audited by, in essence, Disperse and those involved in, in the projects. Okay. Yeah, I guess with those involved in the projects, that would be, uh, that makes sense. Well, what is uh, Disperse charged to enable this technology for, um, you know, for these, these transactions? Yeah, so our business model, our core business model is based on a 1%, uh, a 1% fee at the point of exchange from digital back into fiat currency. So um, we receive deposits in fiat, we issue, um, we issue digital currency against those, they'll be transferred down the chain, and then an NGO in Malawi, for example, will want to redeem those digital funds into into fiat currency, their local fiat currency in their bank accounts, and that's the point at which we will um, which we will charge a fee. We have to ensure that that fee uh, is still at least as competitive, if not significantly more competitive than what others can provide, i.e., banks or financial institutions. Um, but obviously, there's significant value add from the transparency angle, um, and we, although we can't put a figure on it at yet, um, we hope that we'll be able to significantly reduce the losses through. Uh, through that lack of transparency, through that misuse or fraud and corruption, um, so we think a one percent fee will be um, will be more than accessible for everyone. Okay. Um, how do you guys bear the risk once you transfer? You know, let's say it's a million pounds into uh, some kind of token. You know, what if it sits there for weeks and the price moves all over the place? How do you hedge against uh, volatility? Yeah, so our, our tokens are our tokens are fixed at a stable rate against the against the um, depositing currency. So if we receive a million pounds GBP, we're issuing a million pounds GBP digital tokens that are fixed against that to, to negate any any issues around um, volatility. And that's why we went that route as opposed to using something like Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency, which obviously has issues around significant issues around potential vol- volatility. Okay, so you have your own token. Um, yeah. Are you going to allow outside people to um, to contribute by buying the token, you know, to a given cause, or is it only going to be uh, per transaction that people are allowed to, or an organization is allowed to uh, funnel contributions to them first and then into the token? Yeah, good, good question. So initially, what we're focusing on is is those donors or those organizations being able to. Yes, it's deposit fiat and then receive digital digital tokens off the back of that. Uh, we're currently exploring um, we're exploring a model which I guess is a kind of a combination between traditional fundraising and an ICO um, or a token sale, um, where we can leverage the power of the, the crypto crypto and blockchain community as donors and as supporters of, of what we're doing and the, and those charities. Um, so we're currently developing a slightly different model that we think will be of interest to the, the wider crypto community as well. Uh, do, you, do you anticipate which way is the model going to go? You think there'll be a um, specific token for each project, or there'll just be a universal what for all projects? Uh, for for each project, there well there'll there'll be a specific token for each depositing fiat currency. So if a, if funds deposited in 
in pound sterling, um, then we will issue digital tokens um, in, in pound sterling, as it were. If it's dollars, then we issue in dollars. Um, we expect to have um, a, a wider kind of dispersed token, which will be um, universal dispersed token, um, which will be part of this kind of fundraising ICO model. Um, but I can't give too much away at this stage. Is there any desire on the part of the senders or the receivers to not use your token, to have a token that can move with the market so it becomes a, a charity slash investment type thing, or is that just way out there? Yeah, so they're, they're, two, they're two separate things. So the dispersed token we see is something that um, could appreciate or actually depreciate in value, um, whereas those tokens that we're issuing against fiat deposits have to remain stable and that is certainly what the, the charities and the wider sector wants to see because of the existing issues around volatility and currency. Do you accept uh, donations or contributions in tokens or is it only fiat? Um, that's something that we're, we will do in the future at the moment. We only accept donation, uh, or kind of donor, donor funds in, in fiat currently um, but certainly as part of this kind of wider fundraising ICO model um, we will be, we'll certainly be accepting uh, crypto donations. Okay. And uh, just last couple of questions. Any, any pushback you're seeing from within, you know, NGOs, charity organizations, etc. Uh, any, anything that's come up that you were like really surprised about or unexpected? Uh, I wouldn't say there's anything that I was surprised about necessarily. Yes, I mean the majority of organizations that we've spoken to really, really see the value in what we're trying to do. Because the majority of charities or NGOs out there, you know, are there to serve their community, um, and that's that's their purpose. There are certainly charities out there um, that transparency presents some challenges for for them, but that's primarily because of their their um, I guess outdated business models. Uh, a lot of charities use, in essence, within the charitable world, we have restricted funds and unrestricted funds. Restricted funds have to be used for a very specific or defined purpose, whereas unrestricted funds have much a kind of a much much wider remit. Um, and charities are using their unrestricted funds in essence to sustain themselves. Um, now that that is where the, the kind of the challenge lies, I guess, for some charities is that if they start if they have to be transparent with their unrestricted funds, uh, potentially presents uh, problems for them. In terms of their sustainability, um, but I think there's a there's a reality to to that problem. In, in essence, that charities will have the opportunity to um, to progress and, and kind of update into the uh, into the 21st century. And, it, and if they don't, they will simply get left behind. Um, and when you have the opportunity to either donate to a charity that uses a system or platform like Disperse, where its funds are distributed transparently, or a platform where funds are very opaque, um, you know, the, the, the choice in some ways becomes obvious, I think. Uh, so the, the, the potential is that those charities get left behind. Okay, interesting. Um, so last question, how can uh, organizations and people connect with you and find out more about Disperse? Yeah, so you can obviously check out our website, which is disperse.com, uh, or follow us at Disperse on Twitter uh, and on Facebook, Disperse being spelled D-I-S-B-E-R-S-E. Um, we are, we've just developed a partnership with an organization called the Start Network, who uh, manage about 100 million in humanitarian response funds on behalf of a large 
uh, a large network of, of NGOs, uh, and we're currently um, going to be releasing a series of communications about that project and, and the pilots that we're, we're delivering, so people uh, people will be able to kind of keep up to up to date with with those blogs as well. Okay, well, very good. Well, Ben, I appreciate you being on the podcast, and I'm glad that uh, you know blockchain is going into this sector as well. It's uh, definitely super important to make things a lot more efficient and. From what I've heard, just, you know, anecdotal stories, I'm sure in uh, a lot of cases, 90% or even 100% of funds are stolen or, you know, taken. And some projects get nothing. You know, I, I don't even know if that that 30% may sound like a low number to me, but you know better. Yeah, and I think, you know, it, it varies from project to project and from organization to organization. As I said, the majority of organizations, you know, were founded to, you know, to do good in the world. And that remains their purpose. But often, either individuals sidetrack that, um, or, or organisations lose their way sometimes. Um, and you know, we want to we want to rebalance that and ensure that you know this money that isn't that, you know that is limited, a finance is limited. And we want to ensure that it can have the biggest impact um, on on those that, that really need that support. So you know, that's why that's why we're here. Well, very good. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Brilliant. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.